Hello. You are listening to the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast. We are here to walk with parents on their unwanted journey of child loss, guiding them to a place of hope, light, and purpose, not in spite of their child's death, but as a way to honor his or her life. And now, here is your host, author, speaker, and bereaved parent, Laura Deal. Hi. I am recording this from the front seat of the Hope Mobile. That's where my desk is. And in case you didn't know, the Hope Mobile is a 38-foot motorhome that my husband and I live in. And it's our last week in Columbus, Texas. We're just outside of Houston, about an hour from there. And then we'll be heading on to the San Antonio area. So the next time I talk to you, I will have moved on a little bit. This podcast episode We're going to be talking about, does God really love me? It is so hard to believe after he has allowed something so horrible to happen to believe that he really does love me. And during this holiday season, our loss is so amplified and it's such a struggle to feel God's love or to believe that he loves us. Even though this whole season is about Jesus coming as a baby and celebrating that, it's hard to celebrate, isn't it? Well, what we need is a deeper revelation of how much God really does love us. And even if you're a bereaved parent and maybe you're not struggling with whether or not God loves you, we all still need a deeper revelation of how deep and how much and how wide and how high that love for us really is. Is. Now, we have to remember that perception is not necessarily reality. And we tend to look at this through the eyes of our painful loss. And it doesn't help when we see and hear things like, ask for whatever you wish, whatever you will, whatever you want, and the Father will give it to you. And the truth is, we tend to make some pretty selfish requests when we pray and we bring things to the Lord. And there were times that the disciples made some pretty selfish requests. But prayer was not intended to be used to manipulate God's hand to get whatever we want in life. And that includes not having pain in our life. When Jesus talked about prayer, it was set in the midst of participating in what God is doing. And while we're welcome to put any request before him, I mean, he tells us to come boldly before the throne of grace, right? The prayers that move his hand are the ones that grow out of our trust for him and what he's doing in our lives. Things that have a higher purpose that maybe we can't see or understand. I know we have a hard time seeing a higher purpose in the death of our child. And it can make us question so many things. How can he love me? How can I trust him? How can I keep praying to him? Well, the Lord showed me maybe a couple of months ago, he gave me an illustration on this that I want to share with you. And you may have heard it already, but I think it always helps to remind ourselves of this. And what the Holy Spirit showed me is that when you have a king who's ruling over a kingdom, he will have subjects come to him and make a request. Now, he answers these requests based on the big picture of what he sees in the entire kingdom, how he sees it will affect others. And God answers the same way. God answers our prayers based on the big picture. Now, he's not only seeing the big picture of this earth, 
but he's seeing the big picture of all eternity. And that's obviously something that we can't see. We don't have eyes to see that. He's looking at how our requests are going to affect the other people that he loves, how it affects everybody, not just us, maybe not just our child, but how it's going to affect the other subjects in his kingdom. And that's how he answers our prayers. And it doesn't mean that we don't come to him, because if we don't come to him and believe that he's going to give the right answer, even if it's a painful answer to me, there's no way I'm going to have that prayer answered if I don't bring it to him. So I still bring my prayers to him, knowing that he's a loving father and that he's the king of all kings and that his decisions are going to be made out of the big picture and out of the love he has for every single one of us and how he sees that this is going to affect our lives and how the twists and turns are going to happen further down the road that we can't see and that we don't know. Now, you can be a good Christian, I'll call it that, a good Christian, without ever really knowing him or the reality of his love. What I mean by that is we can do all the right stuff. We can go to church, we can read our Bibles, we can tithe, we can do all the stuff that a good Christian is supposed to do. But we can do all of that without ever really knowing the reality of his love and being in a deep personal relationship with him. You know, following the person of Jesus is so much more important than following the rules. When you think about it, the Old Testament was full of rules. But when Jesus came, he came to abolish all the laws and the rules. And he said, just follow me. Just love me. Be in relationship with me. Love When they came to him and said, what is the greatest commandment? And the greatest commandment is to love. And if we do that, then we'll line up with all the other ones, right? So following the person of love is more important than following the rules. See, you can be like the prodigal son that Jesus shared about the parable, and you can walk away. But that just means you're walking away from the reality of his love. It's easy to trust God and to believe that he loves us when everything is going good in our lives, right? Even we can hit some bumps in the road and we can still believe that he's working these things out for our good until something like this happens. And we can't see how this possibly even remotely can be worked out for our good and be able to receive that there is love behind this. It just doesn't make any sense at all. I want to read from a book for you. It's called He Loves Me, and it's written by Wayne Jacobson. Now, Wayne Jacobson is a co-writer of the book and the movie The Shack, and I have several of his books. He is so good, and you may hear me flipping some pages here, but there are some things that he said in here so well that I thought it would be, I just wanted to read it from him instead of trying to say it in my own words. He says, learning to trust him can be a struggle. In my spiritual journey, I've often been disillusioned by trusting God. It seems so easy when all our circumstances are pleasant, but when painful and desperate circumstances come crashing down on us, he sometimes seems to ignore our most ardent prayers. Who hasn't trusted God to do something and then watched him seemingly fail? How do those moments help us learn to trust? Interestingly enough, they do. 
I used to think that being disillusioned with God was sinful, but I've since learned it is a valuable part of the process. Being disillusioned with God means I have illusions about him that need to be dissed. The fact is he has never failed to love me completely, despite how it may have appeared. He didn't do what I expected, not because he loved me less as I feared, but because his way of resolving my need exceeded my own. Immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine is how Paul phrased it in Ephesians 3.20. Looking back, I thought I could trust God to make my life easy, to provide what I wanted and steer me clear of any painful experiences. That wasn't God's agenda for me at all. He wanted to imprint his glory into my life, to make me a man who would bear his image to a fallen world. So he rarely dealt with circumstances the way I wanted, and by not accepting the way in which he was loving me, my confidence was eroded. As long as our trust and love in him is based on circumstances and our misinterpretation of them, it will shift as often as the winds. Jesus seemed to think backward about everything. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God in his rule. That's how Eugene Peterson translates the first beatitude in the message, and I think he gets to the heart of it. I've never heard anyone stand up during testimony time and say, I know I'm really blessed today because I'm all out of options. I've lost everything, and I'm at the end of my rope with nothing left to hold on to. We don't think of such people as blessed. We think of them as needy. We consider ourselves blessed when all of our needs are met and there are no dark clouds on the horizon, but we are wrong. Taking us to the end of our rope is really taking us to the end of ourselves, and that's why he calls us blessed at those moments. While I appreciate the seasons of rest and refreshing God brings into my life, I realize that only by facing my own inadequacies and the foolishness of my own desires can I really experience the glory of God's kingdom. We don't come easily to those moments, but when we finally give up trying to save ourselves, that's where we taste of his immeasurable glory. And along this journey, you will notice that every good thing he has imprinted in your heart came at your most difficult moments. I don't think for a moment that God orchestrates these times because the consequences of living in a fallen world will provide ample opportunities. And I say amen to that. I totally agree with that. What amazes me is how he uses the most hurtful moments for his purpose. You'll even see him use what others intend for evil to purify your heart and teach you to depend on him even more. Much of the curriculum for this journey lies in the very circumstances you're begging God to change. This journey is at once more painful than you can imagine and filled with more wonder than you can contain. Don't think it a broad road, for it is not. You'll find even your dearest friends in Christ may not understand the most difficult places in your journey, but trust him to take you through them, and he will. In doing so, he will make you a little more like him. I don't know that we'll ever get comfortable at the end of the rope, but at least we don't have to dread it or think it is proof he has abandoned us. I love that. See, Jesus loves you. He loves your son. He loves your daughter so much that he made a way for this separation to only be temporary. Not only is he doing a work in us, 
And like Wayne said, he didn't orchestrate the death of our child. The sinful world that we live in, it orchestrates enough pain. God doesn't add to that pain. But he will allow those things to happen to be used in our lives to actually answer some of our prayers. I wasn't planning on saying this, but there was one time when years ago when we were going through a really difficult time and I was praying to God one of these fix-it prayers, God, we need you to come in and do this. And I heard him one time in my spirit say, which prayer do you want me to, to answer? And I was like, God, I, I don't get what you're saying. And he reminded me that for many, many years, I have prayed, God, do whatever you want to do in my life to get me where you want me to be. And he said, this situation over here that you're praying about, what if I want to use the darkness of this situation and use what's happening here to get to answer the other prayer of do whatever you want to do to get me to where you want me to be? Laura, which prayer do you want me to answer? And I took that fix-it prayer off the table, and I said, God, do whatever you want to do to get me where you want me to be. And that is surrender. That's making Jesus the Lord. When we make Jesus Lord of our lives, it trumps everything else. And he knows what he's doing, and he's doing it from a heart full of love because he is love. He doesn't just love us. He's love himself. He's love itself. And he can't help it. He can't help but not do things from a heart of love or he wouldn't be God anymore. And it's so hard for us to see that because we're in the darkness and we're in the pain and we can't see how he could possibly allow this much pain in our lives and say that he loves us. But he loves us so much that he made a way for the separation to only be temporary. Our children are with him. They are safe. They are whole. They are in glory. They are surrounded. They are saturated in that perfect love that we only get glimpses of here on earth. They're safe. I don't have to pray for Becca's protection. I don't have to worry about her. She's safe and God has her totally in his hands. You know, if Jesus as a man on this earth, could trust God with his life to go to the cross. Think about that. Jesus was a man here on this earth. And when he knew he was going to that cross, he had to trust God that it was going to be okay. He really, as a man, had to trust that God had this and that even though he was taking on the weight of the sins of the world and he was going to go through this torture and a horribly painful death, that on the other side of this, there was going to be glory and he was going to be resurrected and he was going to have us in the process. He had to trust God with his life on this earth to, as he went to the cross. And I think that means that I can trust him. I can trust him through death also my daughter's death, and the death I feel like I died when she died. You know, Jesus tells us that God loves us as much as God loves him. In John 17, he said that you love them with the same love that you love me. I want to think about what this means a little bit. Well, for one thing, I think about when Jesus was baptized, and God actually spoke out from the heavens. His voice was heard here on this earth. And he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Beloved, he's my much loved son. And God said, I am well pleased. It's interesting because that was before Jesus had any ministry. 
Jesus hadn't done any miracles. He didn't have any followers. He hadn't started his ministry yet. He hadn't died on the cross yet. And yet God spoke from heaven to let everybody there know that this is my much loved son in whom I am well pleased. And he wasn't just pleased with him. God said he was pleased in him. He was pleased in who he was as his son. It wasn't a word of approval for what Jesus did. Because like I said, God is love. He can't be anything but what he is. And he is love itself. And to think that God loves us with that same love that he loves Jesus. Man, I wish he would speak out of the sky to me, right? (laughs) This is Laura, my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. But that is the same kind of love that he loves you with. You know, it's not our sin that separates us from God. I think a lot of us have that fear that God is punishing us for something that we did in our past, and that's not true. And sin itself isn't what separates us from God. Now, I want you to think about this. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit that they were told not to, God came looking for them. He didn't stay up in heaven and shout from heaven, oh, Adam and Eve, why did you do that? I can't come down there anymore. You're sinful people and I can't be around sin. No, he came down looking for them. What is it that separated Adam and Eve from God? It was their guilt and their shame. They knew they had done something that God had said not to do, the one thing God said not to do, and they hid from him. It's our rebelliousness. It's our pride. It's our guilt, our shame. It's our not believing in his goodness and that he knows what's best for those he created. Those are the things that separate us from God. How was Satan able to come before God's throne and talk about Job? If God can't be around sin, he's so holy he can't be around sin, then how was Satan up in heaven? How was Jesus able to dwell among man on earth, surrounded by sinful people? And we know that's who he congregated with, right? Zacchaeus and the prostitutes and the beggars and the outcasts and the lepers. How was he able to do that if he was so holy that he can't be around sin? I think of verses like 2 Corinthians 5.19 that say Jesus came to reconcile the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And to me, just knowing it's not my sin that separates me from God, it's my end of things that keep me away from God. It's not him keeping away from me. And it's my anger at him or whatever it is that's separating me from his love. You know, the sun is always shining. It's always there. And sometimes we step out into the warmth of it. Sometimes we step out of the warmth of it and into the shade. Sometimes the sun is completely hidden by clouds or maybe even a raging storm. Or at night, it's on the other side of the earth, right? But the sun is still there and it's shining. And that's how God's love is for us. And the path to feeling his love, like the warmth of the sun, Sometimes it can be a stand of faith, and we have to fight our way back into it. You know, the Bible says that nothing can separate us from his love. And Romans 8, 38 and 39 is a familiar scripture to all of us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, boy, that one can really hit us, right? Death cannot separate us from the love of God. Doesn't matter whose death, nor angels, 
nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, the one thing that really hit me there the other day, I was reading this verse, and I realized it says things present or things to come. Now, I have read that verse for many, many, many years, and I have always come into agreement with this verse, which says that things present or things to come. Well, guess what? Ten years ago, when I was coming into agreement with this verse, things to come was the death of my daughter. I didn't know it at the time, but that was one of those things that I was standing on, this verse. Yes, nothing can separate me. Nothing can separate me from his love. Not anything to come. And that's true for you, too. The death of your child was something in the future yet to come that you have read this verse and you have come into agreement with this verse, I'm guessing, that anything to come cannot separate you from the love of God. And it's still true. First Peter 1, 2 is kind of a rough verse, but I'm going to read it here. Think of your sufferings as a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. Then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized or tormented by what you want. It comes back again to sometimes our prayers are very selfish, and I'm not saying that it's wrong to want to have our child with us. It is not wrong, and it is not wrong to feel the pain that we feel of not having them here. But it is a selfish thing, isn't it? I want my child with me. I want Becca with me. And yet when we can begin to surrender these things to God, there's a freedom that comes. And yes, we still hurt. And yes, we still miss our child. But there's a yearning that comes knowing we're going to see them again. And it begins to set us free to live in the love of God and allow new things to come into our life and new, new life to come into our life. And that's what we need, right? So ask him. Ask him to show you the depth of his love for you because this is a prayer that I guarantee he will answer. Lord, I pray for every listener that your love would just settle on them like a blanket. Lord, that your love would just wrap around them right now. Let them feel the warmth of your love in them, on them, through them. Lord, a love that doesn't make sense, a love that surrenders. Lord, let us surrender to your love because you so want to give it to us because you are love itself. And Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, help us not to fight against it, but to receive it. And Lord, I know that our Christian walk is not based on feelings, but Lord, there are times we need to feel your presence and feel your touch. And I just pray this would be one of those times where the listeners would feel your presence and your touch in their lives. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Before we go on to our birthday segment, I want to let you know that these next few days as we close out the year are very important to GPS Hope. Your year-end giving will help determine the ministry that we're going to be able to do in 2020. 
Will we be able to create more resources and reach more bereaved parents with hope that life is still worth living after the death of their child? Or will we have to pull back? So much of that depends on what we hear from our listeners and from those who benefit from the ministry of GPS Hope in these last few days of December. So I am asking you to consider giving a generous gift to GPS Hope at the end of the year. And if you can't do it now, whenever the funds become available, it would be so much appreciated. And it all adds up and helps us to be able to continue giving resources and support to those parents who are coming on the road behind you. So if you want to give, just go to gpshope.org support. And as a reminder, if you want to give a $100 gift, you can have your child added to the Hope Mobile as we travel. So if you want to do that, go to gpshope.org slash heart decal. You'll also find it in the store. We have things in there in the store that are also sponsorship type things like the hearts. So with that, let's go ahead and get on to the birthdays. First, we have Ryan Durkin, who was born on December 27th and is forever 19. Tevin Tyen was born on December 28th and is forever 21. And Melanie Bach was born on December 30th, and she is forever 46. We join with these families and we celebrate the day that God brought them into this world and celebrate the joy and the life and the gift that they were to their families. Through the cross and the death of Jesus, God proved his deep love for us. And he knows that learning to live in the confidence of his love in the middle of the darkness of life is one of the most difficult things you'll ever learn. But he made a way to take us through our darkest circumstance, not doubting his love, but to be able to rest in it. So I just encourage you, seek after that love, go after it, fight for it until it is revived back into your life again and you know that you know that you know that he loves you. I hope you join me next week. We're going to be talking about going into a new year without our child. I know that's something I really struggled in that first year that Becca died. This is a rough week for most of us, the week of Christmas, so this is a reminder to all of us to hold on, pain eases, there is hope.